Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Why Comics. I'm Stuart Moraine and this week I was joined by the mighty Sarah Duncan, uh, she of malt fame, to put the question to her, Why Comics? But you don't care about me talking so I'm going to pass it back over to past me and past Sarah and uh, roll the title music. There was a pause then. I thought I got your name wrong. <laughs> I thought you did. <laughs> oh, how are you? I am very good, thank you. How are you I'm doing? leaving that in, by the way. Oh, brilliant. of course you are. I, I can't be bothered, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm well, thank you. How are you, sir? How are things going? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. All kind of just go really in it just go yes yeah, so, <laughs> like, i swear i used to have more time but yeah since, since like being married having a proper job and kids it's just everything else seems to slip away yeah and we're, we're <laughs> time to just sit and read or play games or so, watch tv shows anymore even just blocking out time to read a comic sometimes it's just kind of like, yeah but i have got all this yeah, stuff to do first I start going to bed earlier so I can have an hour like to read before I go to sleep. And I go to bed at like, I go to sleep at 10. <laughs> yeah, so I do. <laughs> I get every fourth week off and I think I'll get so much done in that week. Because when I used to have just one day off, I used to seem to get everything done. Uh, so I clean my flat, read comics, write scripts, all that stuff. Now yeah. it's like, it comes to Sunday and I'm like, what happened to that week? <laughs> yeah. And what day is it? Because <laughs> on this list of jobs, I've ticked watch that thing I recorded six months ago. <laughs> oh, you're doing well then. Well, I mean, I prioritised the top jobs, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> the house has fallen apart, but I did manage to clear that programme off the planner. Yes, awesome, yeah. <laughs> I'm up to date on porn stars. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> porn stars, not porn stars. Oh, okay, right, 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 okay. <laughs> I never miss an episode of Porn Stars. No. P-O-R-N. I've got them on my phone. Well, there's an app for everything these days. This took a Tony Esmond turn quite quickly. It really, really bloody did, didn't it? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> comics. Yes, comics. Uh, so, Sarah, why comics? Yeah. The, the, the fable question, why comics? Why? Well... Why not? You know. Correct. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. <laughs> uh, I think comics are just they're they're just so limitless, aren't they? Like there's just no kind of um, boundary to them. They can be anything and everything. Like their only limitation is is your imagination, really, isn't it? Yeah. I'd say you know as a, as a form of storytelling um, and a visual form of storytelling, they aren't constrained by like the limitations that film has budget you know special effects and what is physically possible um in you know the real world and um, they're not even bound by language really 
because you know if the artist is doing their job properly it's it's primarily a visual form of of storytelling i'd say yeah 100 percent. i mean i've just been doing that robot comic mm. just sort of finished it up which i am denied for ages about whether to put words on it how I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, See, now not... it seems like I was fishing. I will PayPal you that money. Two seconds. <laughs> no, no, this morning, actually. In the, in the, I saw it this morning in the troops mailer. Uh, <laughs> no, genuinely, I did. you subscriber. <laughs> genuinely, I did. And it's a really cool um, cover I do like. But, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think your comic needs any words. It, it's like comics. So they're just such a transformative medium that you can, they can be understood by anyone like regardless of of like age gender or nationality you know like comics there's this there was or at least um, yeah. big about them being just for kids or, or just for boys you know but because the language is is visual primarily and we all have like a shared knowledge of of the visual like anyone can relate to the content of a picture and understand its intention when it's in a sequence yeah so like within an a narrative it's it's almost instinctual really um so yeah why comics because they're universal they're for everyone there you go cool yeah <laughs> i've been saying for a long time now that i think that some of the most exciting forms of storytelling are happening in the world of comics at the moment oh yeah definitely beyond yes. film novels they're just but because they're comics they're just not getting the attention they deserve no no precisely right because like, maybe they still kind of like carry that sort of stigma that you know oh it's oh, it's just pictures it's not words it's not uh, highbrow enough but screw that there's so much more that goes into it like to be able to kind of tell a story without words and have it be completely sort of like you know legible to any reader of of any background any age whatever you know i think yeah. is is true sort of I don't know, achievement in storytelling, really. You know? Yeah, 100%. Mm. Definitely. And um, I think they're starting to get a bit more accepted. But, yeah. But, yeah, there's still a long way to go, certainly with regard to mainstream media. Oh, of, yeah, definitely. Given it the exposure it needs. Yeah. But, I think it's good that a lot more kind of like... Um, uh, it's, it's good and bad that a lot more kind of like comics are being adapted to film like um we've just recently watched um uh the boys series that's on yeah. amazon and and obviously there was um umbrella academy as well and not a lot of people will obviously know about those because they're not the big two I think. Well, that's it i mean that new melissa mccarthy film the kitchen is based oh, yeah. on a dc comic oh is it <laughs> i didn't yeah. realize dc comic okay there we go yeah but yeah, it wasn't until I read the synopsis of it, I was like, that sounds familiar. I was like, mm. it's a fucking DC comic. Whether the film's any good or not, I don't know. But... Oh, yeah, this is Melissa McCarthy. She's kind of hit and miss, really, isn't she? She is, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but, yeah I, don't, I, I hope, I would hope that a lot more people who are kind of like watch these TV shows and films and stuff kind of like look into the origin of them and take an interest in the source material and just start reading, just start reading the comics. Yeah. yeah, definitely. There's a whole wide world out there mm. of stories and beyond the big two. I could say yes. I think small press comics at the moment, particularly the people that are dedicated to it or doing standalone books, mm. 
are really doing exciting stuff. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And it just but, goes to show that they are for everyone. Anyone can do it. Everyone's got a story that they can tell, and you know, it's just not pigeonholed to a specific sort of person. That that stigma is, is slowly being broken, I think, which is good. That's it. So, sort of with comics, then, what was your first exposure to them? Did you grow up reading comics, or? Um, so. I grew up in a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, I, I kind of had like a bunch of hand-me-down sort of um, books and, and annuals and stuff. So I had like um, a red mostly sort of Garfield and the Peanuts and I had like a few Beano annuals and stuff, um, which is really, really good. I really, really love those. Um, and I would collect, I didn't have like a big news agents, but we had like a little corner shop and, you know, being like primarily a 90s kid, I grew up with Disney. So I collected the Disney um, magazines and they had comics and stuff in there. Cool. But, you know, I would, I would always, I've always drawn. I've always um, uh, been into kind of like creating characters and stuff. And so I would make up and design my own fictional characters. And they were mostly animals, to be honest, hardly surprising. <laughs> but mostly animals. And I'd, you know used to kind of like seeing animal cartoon characters moving and talking stuff through Disney and everything so I'd, I'd make these characters out of plasticine but I didn't have like the knowledge of how to animate them so my way to bring them to life was to just draw short little comic strips in, in the same fashion as as Garfield and Peanuts and stuff um so yeah I always kind of like wanted to tell their story and stuff and I did so through um through comics um, little strips but my own sort of sort um, it wasn't really till around the age of like 12 13 like early teens um, that I went to oh, I started going to the sort of graphic novel section in Waterstones and there I'd kind of like see you know that shelves upon shelves of, of um, Marvel and DC titles but all of that to you know a 13 year old girl looked really really intimidating <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, aside from the fact, you know, that there'd be, you know, kind of like um sort of teenage to middle-aged um, boys hanging like gents hanging around there and blocking the shelves for little me. I couldn't really see what I was wanted to get at. Um but you know, right. mid-90s if they saw a girl, I'm pretty sure they would have scattered quite quickly. I don't know. <laughs> Like, like like my comics, I'm little mousy, you know, well, not so much anymore, but back then I definitely was, you know, they'd, they'd be there kind of like looking at me in disdain, what's a girl doing here, you know, but ignoring that, which yeah. I try to do, <laughs> um, it was, I just, you know, although I was like familiar with some of the characters, you know, everyone's heard of Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, the like, you know, I just, I didn't know like where to start. There's, uh, I, there were so many titles, like so many different story arcs and groups and team ups and stuff. It all looked very daunting. I just, I just wanted to pick up, you know, volume one of something and not have to have had to read like issue 105 of um, Detective Comics to understand some sort of story subplot, what was going on in this. That's and it. Because I, like, I suppose the time you were getting into them was sort of the time where everything was crossing over with everything. It was big event yeah, comics. So yeah, it, you couldn't just buy was, Batman, you had to buy Robin, you had to buy yeah, Azrael. Yeah. And... 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it was just like really, really confusing. And I only had a very limited amount of money that I could kind of convince my parents to spend on me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So but right next to it was the manga section. And that looked a heck of a lot more inviting. Um, Just from the kind of like the, the stint, really, they were they were all clearly numbered. You know, there was no yeah. worry that you needed to have read that previous issue. There were no kind of like relaunches, like so many times that you had to look up a reading order in order to kind of like get the full story. You just start at number one <laughs> yeah. and you're introduced to the characters. And, you know, if you like it, you carry on number two and stuff. And this is like right around the sort of like uh, the Tokyo pop manga boom in like the 90s. So, you know, the, they, the shelves were heaving. And I just, I picked up manga. I, I read manga and um, I started with like titles like uh, Love Hina and Fruits Basket and Demon Diary. Just basically anything that had a number one and I liked the look of, I would pick up and read. Okay. And going back to my, it is a nice kind of link back, yeah. Um, going back to like the whole comics are, are universal. Even though manga, you know, you pick it up and it's, you read it back to front. Or what we yeah, as, as I found out the hard way when I got halfway through a book and thought it was just making no fucking sense. Well, not quite halfway, <laughs> but <laughs> that makes me sound dumber well, than I actually am. But <laughs> that's why when you kind of pick it and you go to the front page, you're like, oh, don't go any further. This is the last page. This is actually the end of the comic, you know, and it teaches you how to read it. When yeah, you I get must into... have missed that page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was all over the Tokyo Pop stuff, and it was it was really good because you know. Yeah, it would give you an example of the page layout and you, you flip it over, you start reading it and a couple of pages into it and and it's so easy to pick up, you know. It it was the, the kind of, um, the way the islands led and, and the structure, the format of the panels, still really, really instinctive, really, really intuitive, like storytelling and progression that you could still understand it, even though, like, the rules have been flipped. Yeah what you know you left like left to right you know right to left up and down all that sort of stuff so it's comics universal for everyone yes <laughs> but, yeah i must admit uh, the manga thing largely passed me by i enjoyed like the anime films and that sort of thing but when it came to actually reading the manga i think because i sort of indoctrinate myself to us and uk comics mm. Which isn't to say there aren't mangas that I've enjoyed since, but certainly at the no. time. Yeah. I was just kind of like, no, eh, think... not. it's not my thing. So. No. I think just as kind of like everyone, like the the traditional sort of um, how did you get into reading comics? Or you read them as a kid and then you fell out of them when you kind of like started like secondary school and stuff and then you picked them up later on. It was really like around, you know, my teens, secondary school age that I really started reading them. Yeah, I I doubled down on comics in senior school. The time I shouldn't have. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yeah. But I don't know, I just, yeah, kind of made my home a manga. Um, But it wasn't really until, like, uh, the early 2000s um, when I started sort of um, uh, college and uni and stuff that I met other people that read comics and everything. I had um, uh, Batman Hush um, recommended to me. Uh, by Jeff Loeb and illustrated by Jim Jim Lee, and you know, as as a complete kind of like 
DC novice, it was the perfect jumping on point. You know? Yeah. It's it, it gave you a good kind of like introduction to Batman and the extended uh Bat family, you know, so you had um Dick Grayson as as Nightwing, you had um uh Tim Drake as, as Robin, um and all that. And it, it kind of explained it all without having to get too bogged down in the law of it as well, which is really yeah. good. And you had like a good introduction to um like Batman's rogues gallery in it as well. You had all the all the people that you want to see in a comic. Like in a Batman comic, they were there, you know? And with like Superman being it in as well, it kind of gave the idea of like an expanded universe and introduced you to other characters of the same sort of like universe. And and yeah, just an introduction to crossovers, which is prevalent within like DC and Marvel sort of like titles, really. Um, but what got me really hooked was was Jim Lee's art. I thought it was just phenomenal. It's so inspiring. I mean, the comic itself, obviously, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's not brilliant. It's it's like the the it's like a summer blockbuster. It, it's it's a people pleaser. But as a novice to like DC, it's it's a perfect jumping on point. I think, and I think a lot of people appreciate it for that. A lot of people who like Hush still just like it for that reason i think yeah i must admit i mean i've been reading comics for a while by the time hush came out and i yeah, thought it was same. all right it's it's not aged well for me i was never as enamored with it as a lot of new readers were but then i think it was perfectly designed for capturing yes. new readers and i think those oh, are yeah. the ones who still hold it in a high regard yeah well that and it was collected into two in two volumes you know it wasn't like an ongoing sort of like like a story arc anything that you had to kind of like keep up with for the bloody ages you know it was yeah. really like um concise really sort of like uh contained into that short story and yeah it threw in like you know bloody harsh and all that sort of tommy elliott crap which then i i now realize is a little crap but <laughs> <laughs> but you know as, as an obvious reading that you don't really know any better but but yeah, it was mainly sort of Jim Lee's art that just sort of grabbed me. And I, I wanted more. I wanted more of it. I wanted to see more of it. I wanted to read more of it. Um, so that's how I really started kind of um, how I sort of break, broke into reading um, superhero comics and, and DC comics mainly. Um, through that, I followed the creators. So yeah. um, after uh, reading Hush, um, I, I wanted more Jim Lee, so I picked up Superman for Tomorrow, uh, written by Brian um, Azzarello and yeah. Jim Lee. Um, again, that was a really kind of dense read. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's read it in ages, to be fair, but I remember it being quite complicated. So, My yeah, problem with that was I don't, as much as I like Jim Lee's Batman, I don't like the way he draws Superman. Mm. He's just, yeah. his face is too angular and to me, Superman's always had a friendly face. He should be a, the hero you can approach kind of thing. Yes. And yeah, it's, a, was... it's a fine line draw in that, I think. And to, for me, Jim Lee always just did him a bit too severe. Yeah, yeah. Well, for tomorrow, he's like um, Superman kind of personality-wise is a lot sort of grimmer, a lot sort of moodier. But, oh, yeah, yeah, that was my other issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I... I, I enjoyed it for was and I, I you know craved seeing more um, artwork and stuff. Um, yeah. I also picked up um, uh, Long Halloween 
written by um, Jeff Loeb and illustrated by Tim Sale. And I don't know, I, I think Long Halloween is still probably one of my favourite Batman comics. Yeah, 100%. Phenomenal, just absolutely stunning in both art and, and writing. There's that scene between uh, Batman and um, Harvey Dent where Batman's given like one word answers to everything that Harvey's saying. It's, it's literally just one like splash page. It's just absolutely fantastic. I love that scene so much. <laughs> um, and yeah, after that, I kind of picked up um, Batman, Superman, uh, Supergirl, you know, the Batman, Superman kind yeah. of like series, uh, Supergirl. Um, that was written by um, Loeb as well and illustrated by Michael Turner. Yeah. And oh, God. Michael Turner's art as well. I was just absolutely blown away. I it's absolutely beautiful. His yeah style. I loved it. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed all of that Batman Superman run. Yeah, from the Supergirl mm-hmm. onwards, Public Enemies and all that. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. No, it was it was absolutely fantastic. I kind of picked up as many as I could really keep like get my hands on, but I always held a special place for for Supergirl and um, Michael Turner's art. The way he drew Batman. Like that was some elegant, just that was such an elegant Batman. Yeah. Just the way the cape kind of like fell from his cowl in such a kind of like nice smooth line. It was really, really lovely. Yeah. <laughs> but just like I, I did with um, uh, Jim Lee, I wanted, I wanted more. I wanted more Michael Turner. Um, and I just kind of like tried to, I looked for him um, in like, was living in Bristol at the time then. I was at uni, so I was um, in Forbidden Planet almost every weekend trying to find some stuff. And I kind of found, like, through um, my search for more Michael Turner stuff, I found, like, his own, um, like, creations, you know, his, his yeah. own kind of... Um, Fathom and all that, wasn't it? Yeah, Soulfire, Fathom, and uh, published by Aspen. And there was uh, Shrugged, which was a great little kind of, I think it's still going actually. I've not read any more than the first volume, but it was um, one that Turner kind of wrote, um, uh, co-created, um, but he didn't illustrate. It was one of the last kind of comics he worked on or had input on um, before he died um, yeah. in 2008. Um, uh, but, you know, kind of through those titles, you know, it, it opened up comics to so many more genres past kind of like superheroes and stuff yeah and i'm like being more kind of i was more attracted to kind of like fantasy sort of like genres and stuff as well so that's that's it really kind of like opened my eyes up to them and past you know capes and whatnot so i i just kind of walked through that portal and <laughs> and just kind of like didn't really look back i i was really really inspired to kind of explore what else comics had to offer after that and just really, really got into like um, Fables um, by uh, Bill Willingham and Mark Buckingham. You can tell I've, I've done my notes. I've got all my kind of like shit written down here. I've broken the illusion. <laughs> um, and Sandman as well was a really good one and uh, BPRD and Hellboy, Walking Dead. Uh, why the last man i kind of like really kind of like came into comics proper when all those titles were there and there was a great kind of like jumping on point you know for for each of them 
um, I could get the story from the beginning, not have to look too hard to find out a reading order, which is what I really appreciate in comics, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever I read. Um, and yeah, I just kind of, from there, it, 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 it spiraled. And I need more shelves now. Yeah, that is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, since kind the of the trouble like, with more shelves though is that you see more space to fill. It, it, this is very true. This it's, is it's a vicious circle. I, I've been fighting that war for about fifteen years house. now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a whole house to fill now. I'm allowed to, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for my kids to grow up and move out so I can take my rooms back. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, it was something I remembered when um <laughs> when when Dan and I moved into our, our house together here, um and we. Uh, started getting furniture and bookshelves and stuff assembled it and then I unpacked and Dan was like oh is there enough room for for my books and I'm like oh well it might be a squeeze but but um all mine are unpacked uh uh look how many comics we have now <laughs> we have now uh, they're yours as well <laughs> see I'm quite lucky my wife doesn't buy much stuff so <laughs> I mean, she's not, because she's got to put up with all my shit everywhere. But... Yeah. I've been a bad influence on Dan, to be honest. He's... It's good <laughs> influence. Good, a good influence, yes. Very good influence. But, um, yeah, now that I drag him along to um, conventions and stuff as well, his, his collection has kind of grown exponentially, which is really, really lovely. <laughs> but, yeah, I kind of, um, like, after kind of my exploration my voyage into into comics um i started started kind of being aware of comic conventions and stuff and i was living at bristol like in bristol at the time so of course bristol comic expo was the big one and that's how i kind of ventured into the small press scene and started kind of collecting small press comics um when i visited my first one in 2011 was my first comic at bristol comic expo cool yeah. Yeah, I used I think 2005 was the last one I went to, which was one of the mm -hmm. Bristol ones and then I stopped going for a few years because they just seemed to be coming more and more actors and less and less comics and then I largely dropped off the scene until I started True Believers. Uh, yeah, sort of yeah. Became aware that it was thing and obviously since True well, not obviously, but since True Believers it's just massively blasted boomed oh. again and you sort of spoiled for choice. Mm. I know I don't know about the early years of of um Bristol. I was uh no i wasn't in, living in bristol during that sort of time so it wasn't really as easy to kind of like get to and yeah about it at the time so um but you know the few years that i went i've i found them very inspiring i kind of went to a few panels and stuff and they kind of like you know talked about um the process and and how to kind of like make comics and stuff and that really sort of from there sort of opened my eyes like oh yes no i could make comics you know well, six, it's the weirdest thing, isn't it? Because you'd make sort of comics for fun kind of thing, but you never can equate that to, well, certainly for me, I'd never equate it to actually making comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this past year with the robot thing and the Jason Isaacs thing is the first time I've actually, from start to finish, done a comic. Mm, yeah. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's partially time, it's partially just listening to things like the Awesome Pod and just speaking to people at cons. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's difficult to come away from a good con and not feel inspired to just want to go home and create something. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's that's the key thing when it comes to kind of conventions and stuff. Like, you can spend 
however many hours kind of you know mulling over an idea or locked away in, in a in a room to try and create it but you know until you kind of like go and talk to people about it it really kind of fires up the passion for it and and you come away a lot more sort of motivated to actually create something that's it and you learn quickly there's no two ways that are the same for creating a comic yeah exactly yeah there doesn't really seem to be any rules anymore or you know what were perceived as rules for what a comic should be no exactly yes so they are kind of like being I just kind of broken down and and deconstructed and and just like obviously there's so many different mediums in which you can put them out now digitally printed and all sort of different sort of like variations within that as well you know I've seen Instagram comics you know where each kind of like um you you swipe um to kind of like see the different like the next panel so everything is a square like contained within a square panel yeah Uh, I mean that was partly why I did the robot comic as square pages Mm, yeah no, just because exactly. isn't that worse than trying to fit something onto an Instagram page? <laughs> I've got to cut something off here. It's like shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's difficult, isn't it? But yeah, no, it's it's wonderful that you know that they can be so again transformative and and universal. Yay! There's my theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... So. <laughs> So yeah, so you went to sort of the con, is that that sort of when you got the bug for creating comics and yeah, I mean it's I mean I wanted to kind of after um, uh, being inspired so much by like um, uh, Jim Lee and Michael Turner and and so on, I I just thought I'd really like to you know draw. I really liked the visual kind of like narrative. I think visual narrative is a very kind of strong storytelling medium. And I'm not much of a writer. Uh, <laughs> I get too impatient. I just want to draw the thing. <laughs> I had like planned, like tried out a few kind of like story ideas in the past, but I didn't know much about kind of the writing process or anything. So I just, I just kind of skipped right ahead. And I must confess, I skipped that as well. I jot down ideas and like key lines or something. And then I just start. Yeah thumbnailing or just go sometimes I can't yeah. be asked to thumbnail I just dive right into yeah I mean sometimes that works well I mean I would like to kind of um try my hand at writing um I've got uh, a, a fledgling idea that I'd like to kind of like try out and it's just finding the a process that, that works best for me I think as as being someone who's primarily visual I don't know whether writing a full script and all that would like before doing thumbnails or anything would actually be that conducive for me. I think I, I, see, I, I different things work for different people though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hundreds of people will tell you different ways of doing it. And the way I find with anything in life is you just take the bits that work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And find exactly. your own way of doing it kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, um, yeah. What, what happened with me though was I, I uh, studied illustration, um, at university in uh, Bristol then and graduated in uh, 2010. Uh, With our kind of graduation we had um, uh, an exhibition put on for us um, at a London gallery. Oh cool. Yeah I know right. Um, But uh, yeah so we had like loads of people we had a nice kind of like open evening and stuff and um, uh, my um, uh, my friend um, Jenny Gilblad, which I'm sure you know, <laughs> or have heard of. Um, 
she we went we went to uni together and she um brought along a couple of um friends to the um london uh show there and like a few weeks months i can't remember how long it was later down the line one of those friends got in touch um and asked whether i wanted to work on an anthology piece with him and that was that was matt gibbs uh, my co-conspirator on mob <laughs> um, and so yeah i was like yeah sure like you know pretty much fresh out of uni i was like sure i want to make comics let's, let's work together so um we did a short story for um uh bio arcana uh songs of loss and redemption that was published by marcosia in uh, 2012 um it was 11 stories um uh based around like a southern gothic sort of theme um but the main sort of thing about it was that it teamed mel all male writers with all female artists. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, uh, it really kind of like tried to illustrate um, how like a new generation of female creators and readers were kind of like changing the face of comics. And it was really, really cool to be a part of that because like through that, I met so many other creators, you know, so many more kind of like female creators and stuff as well. Um, yeah, just Jenny worked on that um, comic as well. Um, and it just really sort of opened up the small press scene into a really, really kind of friendly, sort of inclusive, um, just community, which is really, really cool. Um, really, really lovely to kind of be a part of, I think. It is an amazing um, community. I it say is. say it most episodes. <laughs> it is. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like, I would not be where I am now, like, if it weren't for kind of, like, the friendships and support and stuff that I've made through, like, people. Of, of the our small press community it's, it's special it's wonderful i do love it um but yeah from from there i kind of worked on a few more kind of um short stories for anthologies um there was uh, a short story in um sugar glider stories um sugar glider was a newcastle based superhero uh, created by daniel clifford um really really sweet little kind of flight story she could go out and kind of fight crime basically just cool. as a sh- wider <laughs> um i did a story for uh, dark harvest uh called resistance uh, dark harvest is just a rpg um kind of like role-playing game um they did a short comic to kind of tie in with their um sort of like the strategy book i think it was um and i did a red riding hood story for um into the woods uh, fairy tale anthology uh which was put, to- put together by stacy Whittle and through that, through each of those, kind of like met so many more creators and stuff as well. So it's really, really lovely. And just kind of, I don't know, allowed me to develop and, and if my kind of like visual storytelling skills as well as kind of um, get a real kind of taste for making comics and seeing my work in, in print and stuff was really, really cool as well. You know? Yeah. <laughs> really really kind of fueled that fire um but yeah matt and i kind of like kept in touch like throughout all of that and we just conspired to kind of work on another longer form sort of comic together and yeah so mop scepter of the sun was born (laughs) um yeah we launched issue one at uh, bristol comic expo in 2014 so long ago now (laughs) (laughs) um and I've I've not long now finished the the fifth and final issue, 
which is great because I can plug it here. It's out next month. Cool. Sure <laughs> put that link in at the bottom, but oh yes. <laughs> but yes, that's what that's a five-year journey. Yeah, five years, five issues. Yeah. So uh, that's a pretty good rate for small press. I hope. I, well. I hope. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I know. I feel like I've come to the end of a marathon. It's <laughs> 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 a bit worn out now. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. who, whose idea was it to go with animals as characters and oh, sort of? Was it a mute joint decision? It or? was, yeah. It was. It was definitely a mutual um, kind of like decision. I think um, after we uh, Matt and I worked on on uh, promises for Bio Arcana, um, he kind of like came to me with a few ideas, and we just kind of like started chatting about what we like, what we read and stuff. And we found, yeah, common ground in um, anthropomorphic stuff. Like Matt grew up um, reading Red Wall and stuff. And obviously I grew up with, um, you know, Disney and just um, other stuff like uh, Beatrix Potter and uh, Bramley Hedge and like Rupert Bear, you know, all that. I just surrounded myself with stuff like that as a kid. Um, so I felt like I've actually kind of come full circle in my art, <laughs> almost, you know, as a kid drawing like animals and now kind of like, I mean, just finished my first sort of long form, like anthropomorphic comic is, you know, it, it just, <laughs> just suddenly found actually, you know, my comfort zone is, is animals. It has always been animals. That's not to say that I won't branch out and do other stuff, but yeah, you know, anthropomorphic stuff they hold a very kind of like special place. There's a strong love for them there. <laughs> but I think what's so attractive about like animal characters um, is you know they can be more um, empathic. Like when it comes to animals, you know, anyway, we we tend to project ourselves onto them. Um, giving them like thoughts and feelings and a voice you know it's very difficult not to kind of like you know see a, a you know an animal a cat or a dog or a pet whatever in a very kind of like animal magic way and you know speak for them what they're thinking what they're feeling yeah. you know <laughs> um so i think because of this actually you can sometimes connect with like an anthropomorphic character easier and maybe on a deeper level um, than like a human character you can you can kind of like empathize with it a lot more um so like if you're trying to hit any kind of like emotional chords or, or whatever in a story portrayed by animals you can sometimes have like a deeper impact maybe yeah uh, like bambi's mum you know <laughs> uh simba's dad and the that i think <laughs> one of the best examples I've got written down here was like, uh, do you ever watch Brother Bear? Uh, I have seen it, yeah, or I've seen yeah, parts okay. of it. So you know what I'm talking about when when um, Coda, the little baby bear, finds out the truth about Kenai and how heartbreaking that scene is? Uh, no? No, I don't know that. <laughs> like I said, it's been a long <laughs> time since I've seen it. I've got all the Disney films, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's when he finds out that that Kenai was the Kenai was the the hunter that got turned into the bear, 
and um, and the baby bear Coda was helping him find like his way home. But Kenai, as a hunter, as a human, had killed Coda's mum. Uh, is is it as traumatic as the beginning of Disney's Tarzan, where the baby monkey gets killed, but you don't see it, but you hear it, and it's horrible? Yes, yes, it is. Yes. Well, there you go. There you go. Then, yeah, it's it's just anything to do with animals. I think that that just emotional cord, that that empathy, that instant kind of connection with a character, just kind of it's. I think something more profound with with an animal character. I don't know. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think there's something about animals, isn't there? It's mm. I mean, there's there's animal characters that are like if you were a human being, you'd be a shit, but because you're an animal. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think you know bringing that round to kind of um, comics, um, the best example of like you know the granddaddy of all anthropomorphic comics has to be Mouse, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, by Art Spiegelman. You know. Like anthropomorph anthropomorphization, which is a word that I've just made up. <laughs> uh, all that sort of aside, it's it is a comics masterpiece anyway, right? Just absolutely phenomenal. But I think by choosing to portray, you know, uh, uh, the characters as animals, like the Jews as mice and the Nazis as as cats, like Spiegelman really, really uses that universal visual language. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, you can conveys like the idea of, of predator and prey without having to utter a single word you know you can tell the good guys are you can tell the bad guys are their intentions towards each other you know it's it's clear without having to go into the nitty-gritty of, of the racial sort of like inequality that's going on there yeah you know, it's it's you know there's, there's like a wonderful sort of like contrast that's happening there, you know, by, you know, depicting characters in a story about the Holocaust, you know, it's hard hitting, horrible stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy read. No, it, not in the slightest, not, not in the slightest. I, I, so I don't mean that in a Jesus is a mess kind of thing. I mean it in a, it's like trying to watch Schindler's List or something. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah, never been able to yeah. watch Schindler's List in one go. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is, it's it's just so powerful. Like, by making the characters anthropomorphic, I think it just makes the subject so much more compelling and, and dealing with those themes of, of uh, race in the yeah. way that's like, relatable and that, that contrast that's created between the caricature sort of, like, art style and the horrific life events of, of, of Auschwitz, you know, it's, it's just emphasised the hyper-intensity of it all, I think. It's just... I don't know if it would have been as impactful had it been portrayed as, as human characters, do you think? Uh, no, I completely agree. I think, I don't know, I think for one, it, at the risk of being harsh, it would have been possibly lost as just another... Another uh, Holocaust kind of... story kind of thing. I think... By giving it the animals thing, and like you say, using that universal simple language of cats and mice. Yeah. It also kind of like. And plays doing it in a way that didn't cheapen it either, because it'd be yeah. very easy to be like, I'm going to do it cats and mice, and you know. Mm. No, definitely. Well, it, it kind of like basically plays on um, uh, the kind of like German Nazis' view of the Jews. They kind of saw them as vermin. So, speaking, yeah. like, use that and, you know, portrayed in 
like um, them as as mice and, and stuff. I mean, it uses those stereotypes. It, it uses them, but it doesn't kind of, you know. That's it. It uses it as a shorthand rather than a. Yeah. Yes, basically, yeah, as as a kind of slight, it uses them definitely as a shorthand to kind of convey all that needs to be said and all that needs to be felt through the visual rather than having to go into um, like the gritty, the nitty gritty of it with, with words and, and what's going on and ex- over-explain it, basically. Yeah. There's mm. oh. um, another comment that I really, really like um, that's similar in theme. Um, but handles it in a very, very different way. I don't know whether it's as well known. It's called Elmer uh, by, I'm going to murder this name, um, Jerry Alanguin. Alangulan? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll send you a link and write it out for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Elmer, it's, it's much more recent um, than. Um, uh, the mouse. Mouse was 1980s. Uh, this was, I think, late 90s, early 2000s. I'm going to have to figure that. Well, look that up. Um, but it uses the anthropomorphization to like a similar effect. Like it's um, this one's set in a world where uh, uh, chickens, um, <laughs> every day, run of the mill, you know, farm chickens, they suddenly gain like a human level um, intelligence and the ability to speak. So one day, all the chickens and all the farms can suddenly start talking and, and, you know, expressing how they feel and what they're thinking and stuff. Um, and the story kind of like takes place um, uh, 20 years after like the awakening um, and is centered on uh, this chicken called uh, Jake, who is the son of Elmer. Uh, Jake inherits um, his father's diary, which chronicles the struggle the chickens had for equal rights. <laughs> All right. Um, it's it's so good. Like it, again, it's um, just a black and white kind of um, comic, like Mouse's. Um, yeah. uh, but it it uses like visually, it's really really stunning in the way that it kind of um, takes the everyday like chickens and stuff, and they they kind of give them um, a few items of clothing and whatnot. Um, it's the way it starts; you don't even realise that the main character is a chicken and what he's doing. It's there's humour in it as well. What he's doing, you're like after you realise that it's not a human, <laughs> um, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> How? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it is excellent. Um, but when it kind of gets into um, Elmer's kind of like memories and stuff um, in the in the journal, it goes to a lot more sort of like um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, impressionistic kind of like way of um, uh, the art style and stuff. It's a lot more kind of like a rush sort of ink sloshy and and kind of a lot more sort of you know dirty and stuff because it's uh, the chickens have only just started kind of thinking and feeling they're still processing what's going on around them and of course what is going on around them is battery farming and you know to their eyes murder and all this sort of stuff so it's it's brutal but you know it's also fantastic and then it goes to the future where it's all quite civilized and stuff still so visually it's it's really really lovely yeah I think using those two sort of contrasting um, 
uh, styles uh, to depict the story. It's really cool. Um, but I think what Mouse and Elmer um, do, like using the animals as as the stereotypes to underline the themes of racial inequality, because you know you've got the um, struggle of of um, the Holocaust and Auschwitz between the Jews and the Nazis. You've also got you know themes of racial inequality in inequality um, in um, Elmer with the chickens trying to be an equal to humans um, and and kind of it just illustrating them as animals also kind of like just shows how dividing people along such lines is is just absurd really yeah. <laughs> like using that anthropomorphic style to kind of like highlight that in, in such a way I think is really powerful as well yeah definitely it's it's like I say um, it's not one I've I've read mouse but the uh, Elmer's not one I've ever read so definitely recommend add that to my list <laughs> yeah it is it's really, really good like <laughs> I'm gonna have a crack in library by the time I retire <laughs> I just gotta live long enough to read them all <laughs> well there there you go there and there in lies a problem you know if you're already six months behind your kind of like um schedule <laughs> we're about 15 years behind my schedule for reading yeah. <laughs> you're gonna have to start doing what i do and kind of like go to bed early you're gonna have to end up going to bed at like five o'clock in order to get your reading in before you have to then wake up at 5 a.m the next morning <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that i'd wash with the wife to be honest with you. <laughs> You can uh, sort all this shit, can't you? I'm going to bed. <laughs> but, but yeah. so, so then with Mulp and the decision to... So for those who don't know, who've mm. never read Mulp, what is Mulp yes. about? Um, you know, what sort of genre are we talking? Cool. Okay, so Mulp is pulp adventure at its core. Um, it's... I know our, our kind of like little tag is it's like Indiana Jones or like Tintin, um, but set in a world of mice. Um, but the main conceit here is that the characters are their mouse size, the 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 mice mice, you know. Um they've they've kind of um evolved the same way we have in a world um where you know large predators and stuff aren't aren't around. Um, so they've become they've become sentient and they've had their kind of um, ancient Egyptians and Greeks and stuff and all their buildings and cities they're they're mouse made um, so there's been a nice kind of like play with scale throughout um, that I've been, kind of had fun with um, during the time that our comics are set they're in their kind of like 1920s like um, 1920s 30s um, and um, we kind of start the story in uh, ancient well in Egypt sorry in the Egyptian desert um, where there's an archaeological dig that's uncovered a giant's skull um, the giant skull it's it's a human skull so there were once you know humans and possibly larger predators around what has happened you know kind of hints at a post-apocalyptic sort of vibe um, with the um, giant skull, there's, there's a stone tablet that tells of a mystical kind of like artifact. And that basically sends a, the good guys and the bad guys in a race across the globe to find it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
Sorry. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So I tried to speak and nothing happened, and then my <laughs> throat seemed to close up. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome. So, sort of, like you say, Indiana Jones, Tintin, that. What were the inspirations for going that way? It's not necessarily the most obvious place to go with an anthropomorphic. No, it's not. Story no. kind of thing. Or was that the appeal of it, that it was something you've not really seen done? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, it was uh, really sort of um, Matt's sort of um, input because he, he mm. used to be uh, an archaeologist, um, grubbing around in holes and kind of digging up old shit. Um, so <laughs> that kind of like the history of it and everything appealed to him. And um, I, you know, I've been really kind of like into sort of, you know, um, uh, history and kind of like fantasy and all that sort of stuff. So, so having kind of um, uh, anthropomorphic sort of fantastical pulp adventure thing, it was really exciting um, for me as as a concept. Um, what Matt actually did was when he came up with the idea, he, he called me on the phone and was just so basically like, "I think I've got it. I think I've got the idea." And he sold me on the whole series based off of one image, and that was of the mice kind of digging up a human skull and I'm like fucking yes let me at it <laughs> let me at it <laughs> that sounds great I love it when that happens when you just picture <laughs> that one thing that makes it all sort yeah. of fall into place kind of thing oh yeah definitely and um, you know this was uh, a lot of fun for both of us because Matt got to kind of like exercise his uh, like history sort of buff knowledge and really kind of go to town and all the kind of like the the nitty gritty tie-ins and stuff. So we've got um, uh, ancient Egypt um, and uh, South American kind of like um, influences, and in here there's a little bit of Greek mythology in it as well, um, which was which was fab. Also for me because I love like a bit of kind of real world sort of reference in there. Um, I got to kind of mousify <laughs> uh, ancient um, art styles and stuff, which was really fun to do. Bit of a challenge, but yeah, fun to do. Um, but also because we were kind of uh, setting uh, our mice in like uh, the real world, albeit a mouse-made world, but it was still the real world. Um, I got to really have a lot of fun, kind of um, like building the universe, world building. So um, I we kind of cast our mice as like actual species of of mice um so uh jack is a um yellow net mouse victoria is a deer mouse um cornelius he's a um uh uh dormouse that sort of thing but also further than that and i love doing this shit <laughs> <laughs> um because they were in ancient egypt i was kind of thinking well you know you know, every sort of nationality and that kind of, um, you can tell that they're from. I wanted to see these kind of like background characters into the environment. So I drew them all as um, my species that were indigenous to, to Egypt. Cool. So all the background kind of like characters and stuff are like, um, Ameri like African spiny mice and jaboas and that sort of thing. Um, wearing traditional kind of like Egyptian um, clothing as well, all kind of period accurate as well. <laughs> so a lot of intense research. And I was going to say that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. I probably would have started like that, and then it's like, fuck it, I'll just make him look like Pinky in the Brain. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do today, Pinky? <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> Dig up a human that. skull. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun, kind of like looking at this world by a mouse perspective and, and any other sort of creatures and whatnot that would still be alive. Um, our kind of extinction myth is basically anything that can crawl under a rock or whatever basically died out. So mice and um, insects and kind of other small rodents and, and like reptiles and stuff, they, they're all still around. So um my favorite thing was in the um, Egyptian scene, um, like in the first issue, uh, we've got a bit of their kind of like culture, how they've sort of bred and, and domesticated um, like large sort of scarab beetles and, and um, uh, lizards and stuff as, as like beasts of burden, as, as like, you know, basically horses, they ride them and, and use them to pull carts and, you know, move larger kind of heftier shit around, which is, really really fun to kind of think about and obviously in issue three <laughs> i don't think that <laughs> issue three we got um we we had to like answer the question in the antarctic what would pull a mouse-sized sled <laughs> arctic bumblebees Ah. they are real they are real there's there's um i've forgotten the kind of latin genus name for it but yeah arctic bumblebees are a real thing so we've got bumblebee pool sleds <laughs> but sort of with that stuff is that sort of matt comes to you with the script or do you discuss that sort of thing and then he goes off and writes it or how does it work sort of in um, art, the artist writer relationship Mm, okay uh so it's it especially in, given the work you've got to do yeah yeah well, it's incredibly collaborative like um at the beginning you know, we kind of ironed out most of the kind of the the world and mechanic of of how everything will work um, um matt wrote an outline and stuff um so we knew like the direction of the story and how like how many issues it was going to take us and what was going to happen through each issue and whatnot so we signed off on that and it was all good um and then he'd um write a script and kind of um when he was happy with whichever draft he was on send it over <laughs> and then i'd um you know kind of like uh make some comments and stuff on it if i had any um he'd do a rewrite um and then i'd um uh do thumbnails and then our thumbnails well because from um well issue one we were just doing that the two of us um from issue two onwards um we were um working through improper books so we got picked up by improper books um and then published through them oh cool uh, really really cool yeah um matt was working as um managing editor for them so he kind of put it under uh ben reed's nose who's like one of the co-founders um <laughs> what's this <laughs> left on your desk oops <laughs> well we didn't expect it to kind of go anywhere because it wasn't really like within their sort of wheelhouse, you know, after yeah. porcelain and that, you know, it was, they kind of wanted to centre more around kind of gothic fairy tales, and we were most certainly not gothic fairy tale. But Ben liked it. I'm very, very thankful that he did. <laughs> very thankful. Um, so, yeah, going back to the writing process, um, after I've kind of done thumbnails, um, Matt's got a draft of the script to go with, um, we send that off to our... Uh, editor uh, Luke Froster and he comments back and we discuss his feedback and blah 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 um, um, yeah 
then you know you may get a few more redrafts of thumbnails while I work out um, the kind of exact sort of composition stuff for panels and any tweaks to like um, page layout and stuff. And then I just kind of I, I go off and I pencil it. Um, map feeds back on my pencils, and I go off and ink it, and then I color it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So, so you, you sort of like do it from issue to issue, or did you start to create like a series bible kind of thing of and develop a wish list of animals you maybe like to incorporate in? Um, like you say, like finding out the art about the Arctic bees and that sort of thing. Yeah, or we kind of tackle it issue by issue. So. Um, with the first one, I kind of like ran away with the um, like Egyptian kind of like uh, concepts and stuff. Uh, second one set in Peru, so um, there's kind of like a, a design process that goes on on like whilst kind of Matt's writing and stuff, um, and I get like the first draft or so. Um, I kind of like then start looking. Okay, so these are things that we see or will see in, in the comic. So these are things that I'll look at to design because otherwise I could go off on one hell of a world-building tangent and you won't see shit. <laughs> yeah, you won't I, see any of it. So we kind of the, had to... The idea just... of building a world I've always loved, but every time I try yeah. to do it, I've got so lost in building a world kind of thing that I've exactly. never actually managed to form a story out of it in the end. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, there are so many kind of like visuals and ideas that I could draw, um, but none of it would be relevant. Um, doesn't mean I won't draw it all anyway at some point probably yeah. Um, yeah so I kind of try to keep it the the design designing sort of um uh, period before uh doing the comic like drawing the comic proper um kept try to keep it relevant um in the back of the comics and stuff we do have some of my um uh like concept art and whatnot which I always love seeing in comics so that's kind yeah one hundred percent yeah um but yeah, it was a simple matter of kind of looking at each issue and kind of going, okay, so what are we going to see? We could see this, we could see that. And I just go off and kind of research indigenous sort of like rodent species for each location. Um, and yeah, build like a cast of characters and, and stuff um, issue by issue. So yeah, the, the thing about the bumblebees, it was literally just before issue three, what can we use to pull a sled? Um, and of course, Matt's looking stuff up whilst he's writing and everything as well. So, you know, he, he gets involved in it and he's um, he's really good. He does kind of like send me reference photos and stuff. So there's a specific kind of design to some flipping teapot that appears, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's like, I don't know. Oh, what was it? There was something in particular. There was a double spout and bridge pot. Um, <laughs> It, was, it appears in issue one, and um, Moreau throws it at someone when they're in um, at the end of the issue. And I'm like, what the hell is that? I tried Googling it. I was like, I don't know what that is at all. So from there on, Matt was like, that's what it is. Because, you know, he's a history buff. Like yeah. Archaeology nerd, you know. <laughs> he knows what these things look like. So it just helped me that he could kind of um, send these images along so I know exactly when I'm reading it what it is he's got like pictured for for that particular thing uh which is really good i was gonna say that's probably handy <laughs> yes yes definitely especially when you know some of these things are based off of like ancient um south american places that i've never heard let alone 
pr can pronounce. So don't even ask, <laughs> don't even ask me. <laughs> you know, it, it was really, really helpful when he kind of like referenced this in the script. I'm like, ah, go to the pictures, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So really. with, with the characters you said, like you used to like to make the characters out of plasticine, did you do that with mold pour? Um, I did, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there were some, like, okay, so for example, the cover of issue three, I'm going back to these bumblebees again because I love them, um, but to get the the flow of kind of like um, the bumblebees and how they'd um, kind of, pull a sled let alone be tied to it and their movement for doing that um to be viewed at several angles i couldn't get my head around it until i'd actually bloody made it so <laughs> i made like a little um uh, paper sled and like a, a ring of like a loop of wire and kind of threaded on little plasticine balls to be the bumblebees and stuff um in order to kind of photograph it and manipulate it and shoot it from different angles in order to kind of get that sort of well, the image you see on um, the cover of the third issue, where they're just kind of leaping in a wave of motion towards you. Um, there was also a, uh, again, in, I think, no, issue four, uh, there's a tree um, that uh, is home to like a flying mouse tribe um, who worship a, a deity. I'm going to just say that. They worship a deity. Um, and this tree needed to be kind of like this gnarled, kind of dead um, tree that they've kind of hollowed out and they live in. And they've kind of built um, huts, like wattle and daub sort of huts on, and they've connected through kind of um, like the branches through kind of um, little rope bridges and ladders and stuff. Um, again, I tried designing that just on paper out of my head and I couldn't get it right from met like multiple angles um so i i sculpted that as well um out of plasticine and that lived on my shelf for a good few months <laughs> while i was kind of like getting stuff ready i've still got loads of photos of it but it really really helped me sort of visualize how the branches and everything would work together like in in the 3d sort of um uh yeah three-dimensional surround really yeah Mm. Well, so, yeah. I suppose if you draw humans, you can buy those artist figures, can't you? Or even yeah. some action yeah. figures. Whereas if, if you've decided to go the animal route, short of mm. getting like a stuffed toy or something. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? To be honest, like I didn't require much reference for the, um, for the mouse characters and stuff. Like, there's a lot of leeway, actually, <laughs> trade secrets. Um, there's a lot of leeway when drawing an animal character because they're such a different sort of, like, proportion to what you're used to with, with human characters. If you get the proportions wrong on a human character, the whole thing looks off, you know? Yeah. But with an animal character, there's a lot more leeway because you're writing the rules. Like, like, when a mouse stands up, like, most of... Um, uh, mob characters and stuff they, they kind of like stand up to use their two paws to kind of um, manipulate objects and hold weapons and fight with and stuff um, yeah there's the, their arms are slightly shorter, their hands are smaller, their legs are longer and have that um, kind of 
uh, backward sort of like ankle bit. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what you mean. <laughs> There's the anatomy of a mouse, you know, the backwards ankle bit, <laughs> and and their tails and stuff. So you can you can exaggerate that form a lot more, um, and get away with it not looking eh, like absolutely spot on, kind of like in yeah um, in proportion, which is really really handy. <laughs> um, but I also um, at the time of like uh, creating most of Mop, I, I own pet rats. And, you know, if I needed to know like what their hands look like, their hands and feet, and like, you know, if I had a close up of them, I could, I could just look at, look at my rats and how a tail would work curled around something, try and coax them to kind of hold something with them, you know, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. So yeah, they, they, they were a good sort of like um, inspiration and, um stuff to help me draw uh the characters i think as well yeah yeah especially especially if the rats cooperate <laughs> yeah i mean I, I wasn't too kind of like um regular with my training you can kind of train them really really well like dogs they're, they're so intelligent um but yeah no i don't i didn't have the patience for that. <laughs> sat there for hours with a little toy pistol holding it in front of a rat that's like what <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have to go be- go to bed an hour earlier just to get some reading time in. There's no time to train rats as much as love to be, you know. Just give up my career and become a professional rat trainer. That would make me happy. That's it. Plus all that time you wasted trying to get bees to pull a sled. I'll just <laughs> exactly. make them out of plasticine. <laughs> exactly. You can't train bees to do shit. <laughs> Except make honey, okay, I guess. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I think they just know that. So. Yeah, you don't really train them to do that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> but so with Mulp, like you say, issue five's coming out in October, you said, wasn't it, next month? Yes, next month we are um, uh, launching uh, in uh, at, at Nottingham, actually, on the 19th of, of October. Yeah, issue awesome. five. I shall be at Nottingham as well, so. Woohoo! <laughs> I shall be at your table to stock up on Mulp. <laughs> but, so, sort of, with Mop, do you have an end game in sight? Is five the end? You have to forgive me. I'm not. Five, yeah, five. Five is the the end of uh, the Scepter of the Sun kind of arc. Um, cool. uh, we would love to do more, Matt and I. You know, kind of like use Mop as our kind of overarching sort of umbrella title, um, and you know, the tagline Scepter of the Sun. You know, we could we could create more stories because um, there's just so much more kind of history that we could. Mousify, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but that's that's you know we have we have ideas and and a few kind of like um, concepts that we'd like to explore, but that would be probably a while down the line yet, you know. Well, you've been <laughs> living with how, it for five how, years. So. Yeah, <laughs> we've got to see how these do first as well, I guess. <laughs> sit, sit back and enjoy your comic riches that you, as everybody yeah. knows, come with creating a comic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't destroy the illusion. Yeah, no, I'm I'm currently sitting like Scrooge McDuck on a pile of money. So I broke what? my arm diving into my pile of money. Oh, did you? Car- cartoon this... is not accurate. <laughs> uh, this is why you should use a lot more notes. Your notes to coin ratio was off. Well, in my defence, Scrooge McDuck dives into coins. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, okay, he does. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'd have my whole face reconstructed. I lost all my Comic Con money on that. I don't need to look good. I run a Comic Con. Everyone loves me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the you dream, it's what everyone is in it for. <laughs> yeah, as long as the clips look pretty, that's all that matters, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if you away from Mulp, are you already thinking of other ideas for what you'd like to do next? Or Yeah, so um, there was that kind of... Um, uh, I hinted at a, a, a comic that I'd like to... Um, uh, both write and draw. <clears throat> uh, it's kind of still in its fledgling sort of um, ideas and stuff now. I've got a bunch of <laughs> like a bunch of kind of story plots and like points and everything kind of on post-it notes on my wall right now. Um, so <laughs> the so I can kind of like try and piece together what the story will actually be and kind of like all the key scenes that I have in my head, kind of put them in and then move them around where. I think they'll fit best, I think. I, I used to have where... a wall like that when I was making films. If anybody came in, I looked like a serial killer. Yeah. So they're yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. track a serial killer or he's writing a script. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm like two inches away from kind of getting a thread out and neat and like <laughs> and just kind of like... Just the red it. string. I, <laughs> it was um, uh, one night when I was kind of like piecing things together in my head. I could not sleep. I needed to kind of like write stuff down. And it was literally like, I don't know, two or three in the morning. And I got myself back to bed and finally wrote them all down, all the scenes I had on, on to kind of like post-it notes and put them on the wall in some vague order as to what I kind of saw. And I was, I was able to rest happy after that. But it took that frantic moment of kind of like, you know, desperate investigation. Oh, my God, writing down middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> feverish at my desk like oh my god <laughs> she's plotting the next victim <laughs> like, no I'm writing a script honest yeah or trying to I've never written one before so it's like okay well I, I don't know this makes sense to me let's do that <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah that's that's still very much in its infancy I mean it's it's unusual for me to kind of come up with an idea for a story before I have a visual. I don't even have a visual for this. Mm. It's just very peculiar. So I'm exploring kind of like um uh this one is not anthropomorphic by the way. So I'm I'm learning how to draw people um in a way that I feel comfortable and confident in in doing. Um so that's that's my kind of uh challenge I guess next is to Worst comes to worst, you could get a happy middle and set it at a furry convention. So you're drawing <laughs> people. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, aside from that, I don't think that's going to see any kind of like light for uh, a while yet until I kind of like get something down. Um, I've got, uh, I'd like to do more um, uh, of the little kind of um, autobiographical sort of comics that I was doing um cool. uh, a little kind of uh, series called pause for thought that's um pause like animal pause p-a-w-s uh for thought um uh t-h-a-w-t um 
it is anthropomorphic. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I've done basically is cast myself and and um, other people, um, friends, family, whatever, as as animals um, that best kind of like suit their personalities and um, it's drawn from like real life um, sort of experiences and and um, things that have happened. Just funny little moments that um, I've depicted um, using uh, animals and stuff, um, just to kind of like explore. Yeah, writing really kind of more like short form form sort of stripped again, but yeah, same um, with yeah, kind of um, scripting my own um, comics and stuff in that way. Um, I'd like to. I've got more ideas for more, but they've had to kind of like uh, progress. Took a bit of a a step back. It was on the back burner while I finished Mop. That kind of took priority. Um, yeah, yeah. I didn't really have much time again. Time. Uh, <laughs> kind of uh, fit in it was like uh i was releasing it weekly um but i'd drawn a stack before i started releasing it but i couldn't keep up with how fast i was releasing it to how many more i could draw and i eventually kind of got to the drawing one a week thing which got very difficult um uh to maintain <laughs> in that regard so yeah it, it had to kind of take a bit of a uh, a step back but I do intend uh, to bring it back I need to again build up a bit of a stack builder before I start releasing it again I think yeah um, I, my my problem with building up a stack of anything is like with these podcasts is that I soon realize that I need to get back on <laughs> yes yeah yeah because in, in theory you should always stay ahead of yourself but you kind of yeah. like I can miss a couple of weeks and <laughs> mm, yeah that's the only issue isn't it it's like <clears throat> the the kind of I, I consider myself a serial planner anyway but even then I do fall behind like just absolutely ridiculously behind but you know you live and you learn don't you I mean I was doing force of thought just for fun for drawing for myself um so obviously kind of paid work kind of you know. yeah definitely that's it I mean, <laughs> yeah prioritize that it's like sort of what I do nobody's expecting it so it just all happens <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but you know. in the more kind of uh, immediate, um, though, I, I have I have plans for October um, next month as well. So cool. I wasn't I wasn't going to take part in it, but I decided that I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I sort of I always say I'm not going to do these things and end up doing them. This year, I sort of put my foot down and wasn't going to do Sketch Timber. Oh, like, so I wanted to get the March the Robots thing done. It took like seven mm. months. So. Yes. Oh my god, yeah. I can't no. want to kill it off. And then I need to True Believers is always bubbling away in the background, but once Nottingham's yeah. out of the way, I'm mm. going full and Because I don't see the point in promoting it while Leamington and Nottingham are coming up because it's just gonna get lost in the thing and No, yeah. So I... Give them their time, and then I'll yeah. I'm not launching anything till Black Friday for ticket sale wise. So. Mm, yes. Because it's just constantly trying new things. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the Black Friday kind of um, ticket sort of um, sale will be really really successful? I don't know. Then? I don't like yeah. putting tickets on sale, then putting them on offer at a lower price. I don't think <laughs> it's fair to the people who've already bought theirs. So no. I wanted to do them at a rock bottom price that I could do, and then. Mm they'll build up kind of thing so yeah the black friday is the cheapest price i can do them for and i'm hoping a lot of people buy them then and get the deal but obviously if they yeah. 
not everybody can afford to, but it's all trial and error. But we used to launch them pretty much a week after that year's event had ended. Oh, okay. Which yeah. you get the people that were dead keen would buy them, but then you'd have months of nothing happening. Yeah, yeah. I guess this will kind of like give you a really sort of good immediate gauge as to numbers from the off if, if people really interested in kind of grabbing a bargain. Which yeah, I mean, that's really awesome. I think is yeah. Tickets in advance for an event like ours don't really sell that much anymore. The whole yeah. model's changed. You can't build your event on pre-ticket sales. Oh, yeah, you kind of have to build the event on the budget you've got, and then just hope you sell enough to sort of hit it, kind of thing. And mm. touch wood, we've always done well on the day if we've not done well in yeah. advance. Mm. And um, so I've got no real issue with that. And cool, that Fair sort enough. of thing. And uh, yeah, I've not lost any major amount of money on doing it. So. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's the main thing, really, isn't it? But yeah, yeah I mean, I'm not in it for the money. And if we nah. break, if we break even, I'm happy. If we. Yeah come away a couple hundred quid short but people had a good time i'm happy kind of thing uh, but yeah it's just sort of adapting the model and i'd rather have three months of people being excited about true believers than 12 months of people be kind of like oh cool i forgot about that oh cool yeah exactly yeah no definitely i think that was a really good plan um i'm i'm really looking forward to it i'm really really excited to come along i've heard so much about kind of true believers and stuff especially from like uh the awesome comics podcast they kind of like really really Big it up as one of their faves, and I've been they're to. They're so easy to bribe. Huh? I said they're so easy to bribe. They'll <laughs> say anything for the right amount. <laughs> Excellent. Well, they've done their job. I'm really excited. I'm, no, I mean to be fair, we've always been quite lucky in that people have always had good things to say about it. Hmm. I'm just no good at taking compliments. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of when you did you not see that thing we got wrong over there? Focus on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that tricky thing like i say i've always been fairly self-deprecating so whenever people pay compliments it's like yeah whatever well (laughs) when it's your own event it's your own baby you're always going to notice the faults and stuff like oh my god (laughs) thing that i think so many people throw events together Mm. and you know certain people don't notice it because the exact thing they went for this kind of thing, but you need to be firing on all cylinders on everything. I think it's easy to get distracted by the big name guests, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why we've never not to disparage any of the guests we've had, but we've never sort of gone for the big name guests that oh, one name overshadows everybody else, kind of thing. Partly yeah. because we can't afford them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And partly, but I'm sort of getting to that position now where I'm. It wouldn't bother me if we focused more on like the zine fairs where we were more focused on the small press. Hmm. Which I mean, we're focused on it anyway, but sort of maybe yeah. phase out guests. It's getting harder and harder to get guests. You'd think it'd get easier after six years, but yeah. <laughs> but, but I suppose this is more and more events sort of competing for yes, that kind so of thing. Yeah, the pool is a lot more sort of diluted, isn't it? And I think you're right. Some some events, like the ones that are literally just kind of thrown together, do rely on getting those bigger names in. Maybe because you know they they draw the crowd and and they can. I'm not so, convinced a lot of them do anymore, though. No. Not like, not like they used to. Not unless you get, like, a Jim Lee. Mm, mm. But even then, for an event our size, the ticket ch- price we'd have to charge for that. Oh, would God, be yeah. That much of a draw anyway kind of thing. And then no. the price he charged to do things at the event. Mm. I just sort of reached that point where I'd rather the tables went to people who wanted to be there than people who were just coming along because it was a free weekend kind of thing. 
yeah yeah and that's definitely. not to disparage any of the guests we have got because they're all no. well, i mean they're regulars they've come every year we don't even think of them as guests anymore they're sort of just family <laughs> part of the furniture <laughs> it is though it's sort of we built up a nice little community family vibe yes. about it so we have our regulars we have new faces mm. it's just it's nice to catch up with them oh, basically yeah, a really expensive way of having a get together yeah <laughs> really really expensive way to have a kind of regular meetup with your mates you know really isn't it <laughs> but people seem to like that about it that seems to be our niche yeah. so yeah definitely i think to be honest my favorite bits about kind of going to comic conventions and stuff um is just just seeing everyone and catching up because some of them you only really do kind of see at the con um and because that's the case, you know, you barely get to chat to them anyway. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, I yeah, speak to most people online and then sort of meet them on the day and have a brief chat. Mm, <laughs> Sometimes exactly. a little bit more awkward because like, this is easier with a screen between us. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you kind of like, yeah, with a screen between you, kind of know who you're talking to or not know who you're talking to because some people just use, you know, a, a random kind of like picture or illustration and a different sort of handle yeah <laughs> you're like, oh so on twitter you're such and such <laughs> yeah we've always said we were going to print off everybody's like profile pictures online and put those on their tables but yeah Just people so keep you know. changing them it's difficult to plan <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> but, but and i think with the small press now it's so much of what the uk comic industry is Mm. they shouldn't be the table fillers between the guests and the Funko stuff no. like they used to be mm. no definitely because it just... very much used to be a case and we should probably get a couple of comic people in shouldn't we we're all comic people though that's the thing it's because yeah. the small scene is getting so it's getting bigger and bigger and more kind of like you know more varied and the quality is just kind of like taking a massive sort of um like increase you know it's it's not like all just you know the the zine kind of like market does kind of like play on the the whole sort of homemade sort of stuff but you know that doesn't really attract diehard sort of even the quality of the zines has gone up to the point where you people charge like seven eight pound for a zine Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i feel like they attract a different sort of audience um we're yeah like the small press market kind of like want to try and get the the readers of, of the big two as well as the, the zine people we we try to cater to everyone yeah and, sort of straddle that middle ground don't they it's... yeah yeah um which in some cases kind of makes things a little bit more difficult but i think with the number of um people who are out there creating now and and producing like top quality stuff it's it's kind of getting a little hard for people who do read comics to ignore us yeah. <laughs> and just and just gloss over us as kind of like oh you know small press no we're we're yeah well, so i think as people have stopped thinking of small press as that printed at home or photocopied yes. in the library and stapled together kind of thing yeah definitely. which there is a place for that and i still love that gritty yeah oh yeah it's kind of like the comic equivalent of the 90s grunge movement or you know the mm. seattle grunge movement kind of thing but um i think the quality's gone up so much with the options for professional professionally printing new comics and that sort of thing that people are starting to realize that there's more to it and with your comics from your big two costing you the best part of a fiver for yeah yeah 22 yeah. pages if you're lucky of a non-complete story mm. 
I think people are starting to realise that they can get a complete story for around yes. the same price or slightly more. Mm. And not have all the advertising as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I do miss the days of the classic adverts in comics. Oh, do like for oh, hot dogs it. and shit. When they actually put effort into him, when it wasn't just like a photo of. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. But... I know. I've, I've never read much in the way of kind of like single issues and stuff because of the advertising. It just breaks up like the page turns and the flow of the story. I never really enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I can't remember to... which comic it was, but one of their adverts was done like a comic and it must have been done by the same person who did that comic or somebody oh, similar. Right. So you're kind of reading it. It's like, why the yeah. fuck are they talking about Kit Kats? <laughs> like, oh, this is a fucking advert. Shit. <laughs> Well, they put enough kind of like thought and, and time into making adverts uh, integral to the story. Then I think that's just product placement, actually, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that's the way to go with comics. Maybe you need product placement. Like Batman <laughs> chasing down the Joker and then partway through, it's like, this would be a lot easier if I use my Fitbit. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, my word. <laughs> There's a parody in that somewhere that is excellent. <laughs> that's it. That's the future of Mulp. That's how you can get rich off of Mulp. <laughs> and Mary's checking his Rolex watch. <laughs> <laughs> we may have, need to kind of like skip forward a few, like a few hundred years, you know. <laughs> They're in the 1920s. <laughs> what can I find a way to work it in? <laughs> this they, is they very do... classic joke. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Okay. You want to talk product placement? There, there are cars. Okay, I had to do so much research into Bentley Speed Sixes and Fan Roy's Rolls Royce Phantom Twos. I needed to know what they looked like inside and out. So, I, I yeah, product placement yeah. Is, is classic cars. There you go. That's it. <laughs> it's like when they made the Dick Tracy movie; they didn't want any products in it. So they had to use existing things, but they took everything off, and they always modelled them slightly differently. Um, so I, I didn't realise some of the work that went into that Dick Tracy movie. Amazing. Because they just hid product placement completely. Mm. Possibly explains why it wasn't financially successful at the time. Yeah. It's because they were yeah. getting all their product placement on the back end rather than featured in the movie. <laughs> but... It just seems so rare now for a movie to actively not have product placement in it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, they've gotten better at hiding it, I think. I mean, from, I think the most jarring one was, um, oh, something with Will Smith. Was it iRobot? When... Oh, what, with his Converse shoes? Yes, his Yes, because I came out of that film and went and bought a pair of Converse shoes. <laughs> oh, well, it worked then. <laughs> that film nailed that. I was like, those are some really cool looking trainers. And they're not comfortable. They're not comfortable at all. Okay, they've gotten better, I think. And the first pair of Converse I bought probably took weeks to kind of wear in. And then my, my feet were ruined. I think the Converse basically changed the shape of my feet to suit them. <laughs> then the other way around, chipped, chiseled bits off of my heel. Um, but, yeah, no, I think they've gotten better, but they just don't last very long with me. I, I wear them to death. Yeah, you know? no, I, I got to the point where I was buying the knockoff ones and then, or not yeah. knockoff, the Matalan's own brand kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, same here, same here. <laughs> but yeah, no, the Bond films are still pretty bad for product placement. Oh, yeah. But yeah. yeah. I just always picture that thing from Wayne's World whenever they do it now. I don't know, I've seen 
in Wayne's World where they're like they refuse to sell their soul and that's where they put all their product placement in that one bit. Oh yes. Eating the Pizza Hut pizza. <laughs> we will not sell our souls. He's like, giving me a take. It's like try brilliant. these. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, we've sort of gone off comics. So yeah, sort of <laughs> yes. Um I had a bit that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> if, cool. if, um <laughs> before I start on this product <laughs> placement nonsense. Yeah. Um yeah, there's uh kind of I, I don't know, I've noticed through kind of um like collecting reading and and drawing um like anthropomorphic comics that there seem to be two distinct kind of like um style choices that people seem to go for uh whether you've ever noticed right? uh, I, i've got to be honest i've never read i've not read a huge amount of okay well your 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 library is about to get so much bigger <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to open up this world here. Like, I've noticed that um, anthropomorphic characters, they either seem to be, um, you know, uh, sort of human-shaped, like human-bodied um, uh, characters, but with animal heads and, and features and tails and whiskers and shit. Um, or they're like um, animals that can, like, talk and wear scant items of clothing and stuff. but you know, you have, um, I call them like the, the people animals. So those are the ones with the human bodies and animal heads. And they're kind of more frequently used um, to portray kind of like grittier, more realistic and complex kind of like story themes. So mouse would fall into like people animals. Yeah. They're, they're like suggesting that the characters are human, but they act like animals. Yeah. So you've got... Yeah. Within that category, you got you got Mouse, you got uh, there's Granville uh, by Brown Talbot, and there's uh, another great one, Black Sad um, by, again I'm going to murder names, um, Juan uh, Diaz Canales and Juanjo Gordano, Gornido, Gornido, something <laughs> I don't know, but it's excellent. <laughs> Despite my murdering of the names, it is, it is excellent. And they, they all portray kind of the characters as human-formed, but with, yeah, the animal heads and tails and features and stuff. And they each of them kind of um, deal with more sort of like real-life themes. Um, uh, both Granville and Blacksad, the main characters, are detectives. They're cops. And um, I should also say that these are not for kids. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah they're very gritty kind of like real sort of like um uh sort of noir themes and stuff and obviously you've got mouse which is about the bloody holocaust (laughs) Um, so i feel like although both of these it's it's not like a a strict rule i'd say that that kind of style of anthropomorphization deals with harder hitting sort of themes as well as humor and stuff uh, but more set in the in the real, um, with an element of fantasy um, to create a contrast, because you know they're animals. Yeah. Um, but also, you have um, the animal people, and that's the animals that speak and and sometimes wear clothes. So within that, you've got um, uh, that's Elmer. Elmer is is that sort of style, um, as well as Mouse Guard uh, by David Peterson. 
and um, Beasts of Burden, um, written by Evan Dorkin and uh, illustrated by Jill Thompson. Um, and Malt falls into the animal people sector as well. Yeah. So I see, again, it's not a strict rule, but I see kind of like that style being more used to portray kind of like the fantasy um, themes of, of like survival and stuff. So that animals acting like humans. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in that sort of way, they always seem to kind of like um, deal with like, um, yeah, the otherworldly and, and that sort of thing um, and draw elements on kind of like medieval fantasy sort of um, themes and stuff as well. So those two like styles, I think is really, really interesting um, when the story decides to go with one over the other and, and what their story content is as opposed to the other, I think. Yeah. Interesting way of kind of like looking at the, the two styles within that. Um, for like anyone who's really interested in like anthropomorphization within uh, comics and, and like the literary sort of medium, um, Brian Tolbert actually does a really, really good lecture. Um, it's titled uh, Granville and the Anthropomorphic Tradition. And he goes more in depth into looking into the history and symbolism of using animals um, within like uh, literature and comics and stuff. Because if you think about it, animals have always been used as a visual means of storytelling. If you look at the ancient Egyptians and stuff, you know, they're, they're there. They are the yeah. gods sort of stuff. So they've always been there. And there's a huge wealth of, of history, which he kind of explores in depth in that lecture as well. It's really, really interesting. If you're a nerd like me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a really kind of aspect to, like, interesting aspect to explore. That's why I love anthropomorphic comics, because, again, they're just so versatile and just, yeah, really, really, I like them. <laughs> I like them a lot. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of other people like them as well. <laughs> but but yeah no i mean it's like i say it's not a sort of area of comics obviously i was familiar with things like mouse guard Mm. things like that as well and uh was it mouse guard they were trying to make into a film but it all died with the disney deal so so sad the stuff that they were producing like the conceptual stuff was absolutely stunning and it looked amazing and they had a really like cool little cast kind of like together as well but yeah no the funding just fell out of it um, which is really, really upsetting because I would have died to see that. Like, yeah. <laughs> that would have been just absolutely amazing to just see that in, in like, moving film sort of, yeah, on the screen would have been amazing. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a shame, massive, massive shame um, that it didn't come through, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe one. They had time to shop it around, didn't they? But mm-hmm. anybody else bit, unfortunately. No, no. I suppose it's a tough sell. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's something that Matt and I have kind of, like, discussed about um, anthropomorphic comics. It's it's like Marmite. You seem to either love it and you're on board with it from, you know, get-go. Or you're like, eh, and you pass it over. I... I don't understand the people that pass it over, to be perfectly honest, but then I'm incredibly biased. (laughs) Um, Yeah, 
I don't know. It, it, yeah, it just does seem to hit people like Marmite. I, I, they either love it or they hate it. It grips them or it doesn't. Um, yeah, like I say, I've always enjoyed the ones that read well as much as you can enjoy mouse. But you know. Yes. Yeah. You appreciate. You appreciate it. That's it, but it's sort of, I've never done the deep dive, but mm. I'm kind of wishing I had now. I feel like I've missed out on a lot. So. Yeah, well, any of the ones that I mentioned there, um, Granville, Blackside, Mouse Garden, um, where well, you've done Mouse Guard, um, Beast of Burden, those are just really, really good ones to kind of um, uh, leap into. Um, yeah, just the art and all of them is absolutely fantastic. All very different styles as well, so there's always going to be something to kind of like tickle your fancy. Um, yeah. Yeah, just they're like, you know, kind of any sort of like comic um, or storytelling genre, like anthropomorphic comics kind of cover all the genres as well, you know? Yeah. You've got the kind of um, sort of crime noir, which is like, yeah, Black Sad and Granville and um, medieval fantasy, which is um, uh, Mouse Guard, um, got supernatural kind of um adventures which is beast of burden um you got pop adventure which is malt <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no they're, they're kind of really branching out there's there's a lot going for them i think at the moment and yeah i'm i'm discovering and kind of exploring so many more every time that i kind of like like take a look at them and stuff which is really cool that's the other exciting thing about comics, though, is that there is always somebody that will open your eyes to something new that you've not tried before, even considered, maybe. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm guessing those would be sort of your recommendations for people to track down. Yeah, yeah if you want to kind of, like, get into um, anthropomorphic comics, I mean, those four plus mouse, I mean, cover all your bases, really. Um uh, none of them are small press titles. I do have a small press recommendation that is not my own. That <laughs> <laughs> um, is, uh, yeah, my small press recommendation um, for anthropomorphic comics is absolutely fantastic. And I am in love with it. Um, and, and the guy that creates it is a, is a, a sweetheart as well. I love him. Um, it's uh, Beast Hunting Battle Badges by uh... Steve Yes, uh, yes. Uh, lad, Stevens, I love them so much. <laughs> I remember coming across um, coming across them in um, Excelsior, uh, the comic book shop in um, Bristol, and uh, they only had issue two and three in, I think, at the time. And I saw them. I was like, I need this in my life, and and I I hounded um, uh, Marcus, who's the manager of the store, to try and get issue one in and just please let me know when you have it in because i i need it i need to start from the beginning i can't read from issue two <laughs> I, I need to start at one and and kind of like go through chronologically i can't spoil it for myself um and yeah when i went to um cons and stuff afterwards i was like i wonder whether steve's going to be here i need to meet him and stuff so <laughs> i kind of hunted him down and introduced myself to him and yeah gotten really well um he's actually um i don't know if i can say this i'm gonna say it anyway um uh steve sims has done the the pinup for um issue five and it's excellent it's absolutely wonderful like awesome i really, love steve's work so. oh he's 
phenomenal. He was, he was on my hit list for a few years at True Believers, but I never made it to his table because oh. the the curse of running a con sometimes is that you yeah. never. Every time you get close to the table you want to get to, you end up going off in a completely different direction. Oh, so I, I um, Sarah Harris did a like small press day indie comics thing at the Incredible Comic Shop in Swindon. Yes. And he was yeah, there, so I was, I was like, as soon as I finish work, I'm going straight up there. Excellent. And I bought everything he had on him. Yeah. Um, so I think it was got... the three or four issues at the time. Yeah, he's got four issues. Um, I think the fifth one um, is due to for release. Uh, either he always he seems to kind of release them at the end of the year. So I know the fifth one is being worked on and is yeah. is out soon. But there's four out currently, um, and they're just they're wonderful. They're just so the the art style is so fun and dynamic and expressive and and just there's so much movement on the page. It, the action just just leaps up at you, and I love it. It's so engaging. Um, it's and, and it's great to watch him posting up artwork on Facebook yeah. and delight yeah. when he does yeah i oh, know it's it's just such a delight to kind of read the characters as well are just really really um lovely the the two brothers um like the badger brothers uh laird and flint um their kind of interactions with each other are just really really fun and sweet and yeah um that my kind of when i'm telling people about it uh my kind of go-to comparisons is kind of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meets Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the cartoons I used to watch in the 80s, like Mysterious Cities of Gold and that, those epic quest yeah. cartoons that yes. had, yeah. if you missed one episode, you were kind of fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that oh, I love them. I love them so much. And, you know, if, if you like the look of some of the kind of anthropomorphic stuff that I, um, like I mentioned, then they are just wonderful to kind of get into as well i think yeah definitely 100 percent. so i read the first issue and then instantly just found myself it was the first one of the few times i've read something like that and i was like i've got to go draw these yeah yeah no precisely (laughs) i I did a bit of beast hunt about just artwork it just looked like a nasty knockoff of his own work (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing that's just oh that's there's just so much fun to be had with them because they're so expressive and, and they get into so many kind of like hijinks and stuff and, you know, the, all, this, all the epic monsters and stuff that they fight as well. And I know there's just that, that wonderful sort of like simplicity to their design and that sort of animated sort of quality of the squash and stretch because they're quite round and fuzzy looking, but, you know, yeah. they're there doing all these kind of like epic moves and stuff they're just they're wonderful i love them <laughs> so the poses he finds for them just in the action panels and that oh, it just wouldn't wonderful. even occur to me it's like you look at it you're like that's such a oh <laughs> yeah i think therein also lies the sort of leeway that you have with anthropomorphic characters because they are like yeah they're the, their shape, you know, because they're kind of round bellied and stuff with with legs and like a thick neck, small head. Yeah. Really, sort of play with exaggerating um, their kind of leaps up in the air and you know all that sort of stuff, swings of of axes and when they kind of like just get thrown around and whatever, you know, it's yeah. I think you can just have a lot of fun with that, and Steve does seem to do like have a lot of fun with it, and you can see it. I think, and and yeah, the kind of 
epic sort of poses that he puts them in when they're fighting and and just kind of like causing mayhem and whatever monster they're fighting. <laughs> That's it. It's just superb. Like I say, they're great fun and just mm. the artwork is stunning. Yes, it is. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Those are sort of kind of like all ages as well, which is wonderful when you find something as engaging like that for you know any age any anyone really yeah definitely so yeah. i think that's sort of where comics need to be to a certain degree yeah yeah they are for everyone they are universal that's my theme again <laughs> there's there's a place for the older theme things but i think there's a way of doing it that it doesn't have to exclude a large portion of audience kind of thing yeah Exactly, precisely, you know, definitely, yeah. It's, in my opinion, a very all-inclusive medium when it's yeah. done right, when it's done properly, you know, when it's used most effectively, I think, which is really, really good. Yeah, which, I mean, that's part of my problem with, like, the DC Black Label, because it's kind of like, we're doing this to tell adult stories. It's like, are you telling adult stories, or are you just using it as an excuse so Batman can say fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, we just started watching um, DC Titans, and yeah, just in that first episode, fuck Batman, and everyone's like, oh! I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I've still not watched it yet. I'm kind of... Mm. I'm kind of burned out on the DC TV shows, I've got to be honest. As much as I loved, like, The Flash and Arrow. Oh, yeah. They've got uh, more and more CW over time, I think. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And no, I couldn't keep up. We, I started watching um, Arrow and stuff, and I really was really enjoying it. But then it seemed to kind of take itself too seriously. Well, they just and hit then... that point where a lot of shows hit, where it's kind of like we need to drag this out over twenty-two episodes. Yeah. Oh God. Like, yeah. Didn't let's have just... the character do something he'd never fucking do. Yeah. Just so and... that we can keep this story going a bit longer. And then I, I started watching uh, Flash, and as goofy as that was, that was quite refreshing. The first series of Flash I've maintained is one of the best yeah. comic book TV series I've seen for a long time. Mm, it was it excellent. Got, it got that tone of comics perfectly. The cast was spot on. Yeah. And, you know, there were a couple of clunky bits, but there are in comics. Yeah. And so, then, yeah, and then they kind of like just started doing their, uh, oh God, what was the other series? The, the massive kind of like tie-in. Oh. The Legends of Tomorrow one. Legends of Tomorrow, that's it. I remember we started watching that, but again, they're in. It, it, they're, there's a there's a fucking viewing order. Forget your kind of reading order for your issues and stuff. There's a viewing order to that because we started watching Legends of Tomorrow right around it, when in Flash. Um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Um, Brandon Ralph. Um, oh, um, oh, Ray Palmer. Ray Palmer. Yeah, right when he was, you know, uh, missing, presumed dead. And then in Legends of Tomorrow, there he is. And I'm like, well, what, you know, spoiler, hell. <laughs> what happened to him then? You know, is he he's back? Was, when is the set? Like, oh, was well annoyed. <laughs> it just ruined the whole end of that series for me. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. Um, so I then had to look up a bloody viewing order and then it just got too tedious. <laughs> I couldn't maintain it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I say, it's still fun in places, but for the oh. most part, I'm, I'm committed to seeing those series through to the end now. 
It's just I can't I start another one. I think the only time I started to enjoy them after that, we didn't we didn't start watching um, Supergirl. Unfortunately, that was that was just one too many to kind of put into the mix that we couldn't keep up with. Don't know what episode I was on and which they cross over in what what point and what storyline. But yeah, the um the crossover episodes that did happen and um, that I watched uh, with uh, Flash and Arrow were just wonderful. Yeah, that stuff is good, and they largely stand alone because they release yes, those on their do. own as yeah. movies on DVD, don't they? Mm-hmm. And so you've got yeah. a little bit of continuity, but for the most part, you can go into those blind. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. thing. But but yeah, I like I say, just sort of disappear up their own ass after, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I know. I just yeah, I think <laughs> to be fair, a lot like comics sometimes. So. <laughs> you got a stack of comics by the side of your like toilet and stuff and they're not for reading when you're having a shit no they're for wiping it up afterwards <laughs> it's, well it's almost got to the point with some of the tv series that they could do with a little editor's box that just pops up mid-episode yeah. like when vh1 used to do pop-up videos just a little pop-up that's like the thing supergirl is referring to in this episode happened in the flash series six episode two oh, just you know, Stan Lee's little kind of like editor boxes. You know, if they say it in a Stanley little voice, that would be absolutely brilliant. But yeah, no, that's that's crossing Marvel and DC now. We can't be doing that. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the editor box in comics. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, because it was, was never done as a hard sell kind of thing. It was just done as a, if you're curious about this, check out Starman yeah. issue forty nine kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least it told you where to kind of like find what they were sort of alluring to, but I know. That's I, it. I, but it, it wasn't essential. But... No, exactly. Yeah. I'm just getting fucking old now. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we live in a world now where you can kind of like just Google that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I would just stop reading a minute to go on my phone to Google it to read that. It's like, oh, cool. Now I'll get back to my comic. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think. That, that kind of harkens back to when I was starting to read um, like comics and stuff. And I found those editor boxes as like a must read, you know, because I wanted to know what was going on, but I didn't have the funds to kind of go out and find and buy that. And I didn't know where to find it in order to buy it in the first place. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I won't read that then. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that was always the big problem for me. If my local comic shop couldn't get it, I didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, there was no internet. Exactly. There was no cons weren't as, or certainly uh, that I were aware was aware of weren't as prevalent. No, 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 me neither. And yeah, we didn't. When I was um, started reading, there we go. We didn't have smartphones. We had dial up. And if <laughs> mum was expecting a phone call from a grand, I couldn't use the internet. <laughs> I, used to, I used to hate that. Some fucker would always <laughs> ring just as you were getting to the end of downloading something and it would boot oh. you off the internet. <laughs> Oh, that's so, so irritating. <laughs> You'd wait the best part of six hours to watch a 90-second trailer for a film. Yep, yep. Have it all ripped away from you just because Gran wants to tell Mum about something. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just so somebody can go, sorry, wrong number. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will find you. Turn into Liam Neeson. I will find you. I will kill you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> But 
so true. So, <laughs> young people today, they don't know it. They never know the struggle. They will never know. <laughs> they never know the pain of flicking the modem on at nine o'clock in the morning so it's ready oh. when you got home. They're just impatience of them nowadays. They did not know what patience meant whatsoever. <laughs> so, anyway, that's another episode of Why Grumpy Old yes. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can join in with that one. <laughs> um, so, sort of, where can people find you online? Oh, if they yeah. Wanna, what? If they want to <laughs> fire up their dial up and. Talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I'm pretty easy to find on any kind of like social media platform. Unlike most people, my handle is my name. And my picture is me. <laughs> I'm really visible. So you make it far too easy. I know. I just, I just no, no, kind of like thought into it. I'm just well. I want people to find me. I'm not hiding. So here you go. There you are. That's me. There I am. <laughs> um, I'm on uh, Twitter at Sarah Duncan. That's uh, S A R A D U N K E R T O N. That's how you spell my name. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, just Sarah Dunkerton. Uh, I've got a Facebook page at Sarah Dunkerton Art and uh, a blog, uh, which is sarahdunkerton.blogspot.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. Really, just Google my name, you know, it's all going to come up. Um, uh, Mulp has its own um, uh, website, uh, which is mulpcomic.com. Uh, Mulp um, is M U L P. Um, and on the website there, you can find um, like all the latest um, news and stuff, any sort of um, uh, convention sort of appearances and um, just tip bits of artwork and, and bits about my process and stuff. Um, there's also uh, like a free 12 page preview of the first comic, which you can read online on there. Um, and you can find a full list of where to buy our comics as well. Um, cool. it's, we distribute to um various sort of like comic book shops uh, across the, the uk um and we're also available in the us but you know we're... <laughs> um so you, you can find us in in uh, gosh and orbital uh page 45 in nottingham and uh the traveling man men traveling men stores traveling man stores <laughs> yeah wherever that you can find us there um, and Excelsior in Bristol as well. Um, so, you know, if you don't catch us at a convention, you can um, catch, uh, well, buy Mulp from, from there. Um, yeah, uh, issue five, as I said, we've been launching at uh, Nottingham uh, Comic Con uh, on the 19th of October. And we'll also be at Thought Bubble um, in November as well. Uh, we'll be there with Improper Books. Uh, so you'll have the, the whole Improper lot there with all our all our, you know, our whole kind of like two tables full of books <laughs> so <Nice>. many <laughs> um and issue five will be available in shops uh within the month so they'll be able to get it from um shops soon um cool. yeah and you're at true believers next year as well so yes i am <laughs> so yeah people can catch you there as well if they can't travel yeah. up north yeah exactly because you we'll know be getting past the white walkers is tricky business oh. for us southerners <laughs> oh yeah definitely definitely you know, it, it's it's what like a five hour no five hour drive 
Four yeah, from here it's about four, four to five hours for us, depending on yeah. traffic on the A1. So yes, yeah. So which, given how the A1 is, sometimes it might be best to leave now to hit there for the nineteenth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too right. Especially when you hit um, the outskirts around Birmingham. Jesus Christ. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> the roadworks and traffic around there. I'm so glad I, I don't drive. Dan drives us up and down, so you know he, he gets um he gets kind of free entry if he drives us round. That's that's yeah. a reward. Yeah, that's that's a fair deal. Yeah, exactly. I thought so. I'll, I'll yeah. just sit in the passenger seat, you know, reading. <laughs> no, I can't read in <laughs> On the way back. You sick? <laughs> oh really? Oh, fair. I, I Otherwise, so that'd be the perfect time to get some reading in. <laughs> yeah. I had so much kind of like um, practice at it when I was younger and never would kind of like go for trips anyway because I lived in the middle of nowhere we had to go miles out in order to actually do anything or go anywhere <laughs> so, yeah I used to read in the car regardless but yeah. now as an adult I can't take it anymore <laughs> oh fair enough <laughs> plus you know I'm meant to be navigating so even though yeah. we've got a sat nav <laughs> yeah <laughs> you just can't trust sat navs <laughs> No, well, sometimes you know what? Even the driver doesn't look at the sat nav. Um, there are several occasions when I've just been like, I've been looking at the sat nav and the road and paying attention. I'm not the driver, and I kind of go to Dan. I was like, "Isn't it that turning that we've just passed that we're going to go down?" He's like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> I turn around. I was like, "I'm not even the one driving here. You know, you're looking at the road." Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> Hopefully you'll focus on the sat nav and we'll see you at Nottingham. <laughs> yes. But oh yes, definitely. No. We, we're travelling up the day before for Nottingham to make sure we're definitely yeah. there. So, last yeah, time I did it, we went. It was me and Andy. We shared a table and we went up on the Saturday morning. So, sort of um, leaving the house about five in the morning together. Oh, yeah. So I thought now this time because it's me and the wife going. So we'll get a hotel room and we'll stay over the night before. Yeah, yeah. I've been um, two times previously. Um, didn't go uh, last year, unfortunately, but um, yeah, we've always kind of like um, traveled up uh, the Friday and kind of stayed and then, yeah, fresh and kind of like, you know, uh, yeah, fresh eyed and stuff for, for the convention <laughs> not on Saturday, um, despite any kind of like night out that may have happened the night before. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's such hard work at cons. You don't really want the long drive up there in the morning. So, no. Exactly. Plus, it's good to meet up with people the night before and hang out. So, exactly. Yeah, you know, because you never get a chance to kind of see people at cons when you're manning a table. It's always, you know, the crazy either night before or night after sort of meetups where you kind of get in your social time. That's it. Well, yes, yeah, so it's quickly buying stuff generally on the day. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Flight enough to not block sales, but. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, I awesome. very much support it. And yay, troops next year as well. Woo. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, cheers for doing this. And, uh, yeah, no so problem. I, sh I shall see you on the 19th for Nottingham. Yeah. And, mm. uh, yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, Done. thank you for, again for being on. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah. So did I. I mean, I've been listening to your um, web comic shows and stuff because, you know, it's it's very lonely kind of sitting here drawing comics. It's nice to hear people talking about comics while I'm doing it. Kind of, it, it helps. <laughs> helps keep them <laughs> So it's been really, really lovely to hear 
what people think and how they got into it and their take on everything. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy this one as well, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You can listen to this one. She sounds familiar. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm not listening to this back. I I hate the way I speak. I've got, yeah, just... (laughs) I'll cringe massively. So I'll I'll, I'll kind of... (laughs) I kind of rely on what everybody else says about it. Like, what do you think? So, <laughs> <laughs> so now, once it's out in the world, it's not yeah. anybody's problem anymore that was involved. Exactly. I made but... the massive mistake. I remember the first time I appeared on a podcast. It was um, with, um, yeah, the Awesome Comics podcast, and I made the mistake of listening to myself back. And I, I, I kind of went up to Dan afterwards, and I was like, Dan, do I have a list? I didn't realise. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> I've never heard my voice recorded before. And I'm like, do I have a list? Oh my God, I do. Shit. Okay. And Dan was like, fuck, how do I answer this question? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. He's like, yeah, but it's very cute. And I'm like, shut up. He's <laughs> like, you have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much his answer, yeah. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, yeah. Sarah. That's not a problem. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that was episode eight of Why Comics. I'd like to thank Sarah again for being on the episode. I really enjoy talking comics with her, and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Um, in case you missed any of Sarah's links or where to find her online or any of her comic recommendations, you can find them all in the show notes on the main page. Um, you can find the Nerds Who Haunted Themselves on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash haunted nerds. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We do it all through the OK True Believers thing, so it's at OK True Believers. You can go onto the True Believers website, which is OKTrueBelievers.com, where you can find uh, all the past podcasts, the comics we do. Um, Troops news, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you can find us on Podbean at hauntednerds.podbean.com, uh, where you can f- again find most of the old episodes that are up on there and everything like that. Uh, if you're interested in hearing more from me, why would you? I don't know, but some people might be. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at tokennerd. I'm on Instagram as Stuart thinks he can draw, which is Stuart underscore thinks underscore he underscore can underscore draw. Or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Stuart Count Draw. Um, my mini comic, Hello to Jason Isaacs, is still available to read for free on Comic House or as part of the subscription. If you haven't already, it's £3 a month for the subscription and there's just a whole host of awesome small press comics on there. And my one, um, which you can check out and read. Uh, we've had a couple of nice reviews on Hello to Jason Isaacs, uh, which has been really nice, so I'd like to thank... I'm not sure if they listen or not, but I'd like to extend a thank you to them. I'm not sure who you are, but it's awesome of you. Cheers. Um, True Believers-wise, I've had the artwork back from Andy for the Jack Kirby um, lanyard, which will be the one we're giving away for free with the first 150 tickets bought on Black Friday. Uh, I'll be revealing that in the Troops mailer soon. I'm not sure which week yet. I don't know whether to wait until Nottingham's done and then reveal it, or possibly reveal it sooner. Um, But yeah, that'll be in the Troops mailer, which you can subscribe to by going to tinyletter.com forward slash Troops, and just hitting the subscribe button. 
Um, it comes out every week. You don't have to read it if you don't want to. It can just sit in your inbox and you can delete it. But, you know, uh, it's usually full of like news about the podcast, troop stuff, a uh, bit of my comics nonsense, all that sort of thing. It's been a bit quiet on the troop stuff because there's not been much going on, but it's all going to start kicking off soon once Nottingham Comic Con's out of the way. Which you can find me at Nottingham Comic Con along with Sarah Dunkerton. Uh, the awesome pod boys are going to be there. They've got a great lineup. If you check them out, if you search Nottingham Comic Con on Facebook, you can find all the information you need. It's a great event. Um, and yeah, that is it for this week. Next week, I will be back with another episode of And Why Not, which I'm recording tonight as this episode goes out. Um, so if it doesn't appear, something went wrong and we didn't get to record tonight. But I will be recording it with John Tucker and we will be talking about the documentary, The Barkley Marathons, which if you want to check it out ahead of the episode coming out next Wednesday, it's on Netflix. So you can give it a watch on there if you've got a Netflix account um, or I'm sure people smarter than i can find it elsewhere online um until then um this has been a nerds who haunt themselves production and i've been Stuart moraine and until next time read some awesome comics create some awesome things and keep spreading the four color word thanks for listening bye yeah.